I, I still don't like have my like really confident solid response when people mm-hmm. are like truly disturbed by what I do yeah. or trying to really push on like judging you yeah. know what I mean um you know and non-runners or hikers will be like well what are you running away from mm. and that's like one of my least favorite things to <laughs> be asked and I usually feel attacked so my response is like to what are you being sedentary about like you have this body <laughs> like why not that. use it <laughs> yeah touche man yeah. I love that Welcome to the Why We Hike podcast, where we explore the highs, the lows, and the whys for going outside. I'm your host, Ford Thunder Erickson, and boy howdy, that intro rhymed real good. Let's do some talking. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Why We Hike podcast. And today I'm very excited because I have my friend Bartle. Say howdy, Bartle. Howdy, (laughs) y'all. Listen to that voice. (laughs) Oh, man. So, Bartle, um, she has had, from what I understand, which I'm going to learn a little bit more about this later in the interview, but quite the life transformation over the last, I don't know, 15-ish years or so. Uh, she started out as a a pre-professional ballet person. Is that, is that how you say that? Ballerina. Ballerina, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, pre-professional ballerina. And then now, to just fast forward to now, she's, uh, as some would say... A hardcore, uh, I don't even know what the right words to put it, just naturalist, <laughs> uh, hide tanner, uh, survivalist. Uh, she just barely, we're right now in the town of Escalani, Utah, and she walked here from the Mexican border uh, with her partner Chris, who hopefully have the podcast soon. Um, but that's not, she, she's done a lot of walking on her feet Mm -hmm. um she's also spent it was you and chris right spent uh did an 80 day survival solo or just mostly just foraging food and off the land um you've done all kinds of uh you know 75 you said a 75 mile Mm -hmm. adventure run Mm -hmm. a bunch of different things like that really into running great athlete but it's a really unique person because she's a great athlete um combined with amazing skills and passion for uh, primitive skills or as some people would call survival skills ancient living skills mm-hmm. and she she actually like that's what she does <laughs> you know that's that's Bartle's life mm-hmm. um, it's not just a hobby that she has that's what you do oh and we we just barely finished uh, Bartle Chris and a few other people Matt Graham Dan Baird who are also on the podcast we just finished a uh, five-day desert survival primitive running course yeah Yeah. so it was pretty cool um i did one of those with matt and dan a few months ago and then we did another one just now it was awesome to have bartle and chris here for that um but the first experience i ever had with bartle was i was at rabbit stick the primitive skills gathering and i'm pretty into running you know and we, uh, I kept every person that I met at Rabbit Stick just saying, oh, have you talked to Bartle? When I'd say something about running, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know who Bartle is. 
and it was seriously it was five or six people and so I was starting to get kind of frustrated actually people are saying oh talk to Bartle talk to Bartle so I finally figured out who you were and you were working in the kitchen at Rabbit Stick and so I said like hey you <laughs> are you Bartle he said yeah really nice and friendly I said okay I'm supposed to talk to you about running <laughs> and at this point in my running stage I'd been kind of like feeling this pull to do like ultra marathon length running but I was kind of scared mm-hmm. and I almost just didn't want to do that mm-hmm. um, but I just, it's almost like I felt like I need to though like I sh- I'm supposed to mm-hmm. and so I remember we sat down on the lawn there and I don't know if you remember this but you, we sat down. I just started like bombarding you with questions, and you answered them in like ways I wasn't expecting. <laughs> because, like we're going to go into a little bit later, you're not the typical ultra marathon runner. You do it with your own primitive, ancient living skills uh, flair. And so, when I was asking you questions about it, I was like, "So, when you did your like 75 miler, I was like, what gear did you bring? You know?" And I remember you said something like. I don't know if it was for that run specifically, but you were like, yeah, I just got like one of those crappy Jansport backpacks from like a thrift store and some random sandals from a thrift store, you know, combined cost like $7 or something like that. And I was like, what? I don't understand, you know? The way I'd been taught was like, you got to get the fanciest gear, the most state-of-the-art technology. That's the only way, you know? And so you kind of opened my mind and were like, nah, you can do it. You could do it. And uh, and then you got the idea for doing an, what you call an adventure run, which maybe first off, you, you sent out an email to me and I think a few other people like, hey, I want to organize this adventure run a few months down the road in Arizona if anyone's interested. And I was like, yeah. And I think it, we were talking about maybe about 50 miles or something like that. And I was like, all right, I can't say no. Like, I've got to do it. This has got to be the one. So I want to ask you the idea of this concept of adventure running, which we've been talking about these last few days with the group of people that we were with. I think in a lot of the running and ultra running community, maybe that is, they don't really know what that means or what that is. How would you describe what an adventure run is for you? Yeah, an adventure run for me, like when I put it together, it's a route that I create in some area of wilderness or public land and um yeah i run it with whatever gear i have Mm. and um, i usually try to push my mileage a little bit out of my comfort zone so maybe around 30 plus miles um sometimes my adventure runs are overnighters sometimes they're three or four days long and i just kind of run 30 plus miles every day and then camp out and then wake up in the middle of the night or early morning or whenever and start running again until I get tired and take cat naps <laughs> or camp out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I do some foraging along the way. Um, For people who may not know, what, what do you mean by that foraging? Yeah, collecting wild greens mm. usually or if there's berries around or a little patch of some um, roots that are pretty easy to dig up. Mm. I did this one run in the gravelly range one fall before rabbit stick where I just wanted to dig yampa which is Mm. like a traditional edible root for the runners Mm. of that of whatever clans would 
eat and work with that plant because it's a simple carbohydrate. Yeah. So yeah. I would just run and dig roots, eat them, spread the seeds, keep running, <laughs> dig some more roots, wow. keep running until I got to my camp and I went to bed that night and I just fueled that whole run on yampa, wow. yampa roots. So That's amazing. Um, yeah, sometimes I work with wild foods. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just bring some, like, simple dehydrated foods that I can rehydrate while I'm running. Or mm. um, pemmican is another go-to. It's a mixture of rendered deer fat and meat kind of blended together. Um, That's like a traditional food that native people would eat. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just try to... I try to keep my running feeling free um, and to not put myself or try to pinhole myself into a box that that makes me feel either restricted or um, over-challenged. It's kind of like this freedom-loving relationship mm. with the land, and it's this interesting balance that I try to create with myself and with, with others that end up joining me on some of my adventure runs, which is always exciting for me it was like an honor to have you yeah you join me um yeah and 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 recently i've started using the term freedom runner so Mm, yeah how would you differentiate that (laughs) yeah well i think that just kind of fits in the category of like it's like a little bit more detailed to the adventure runs i do like i identify as a freedom runner Mm. um and i think i kind of came up with that term because I was just like sensing so strongly why I run and what I feel when I run and what I end up feeling is just very free and very connected to my Mm. body and very connected to where my feet are touching the ground and pittering and pattering along whatever wilderness route I'm creating um yeah. yeah that's cool yeah so um do you want to explain... So, I can't remember if I said this earlier early in the episode, but I think I did. Bartle is one of my running senseis. <laughs> and one of the reasons for that is kind of what I was alluding to is that my first ultra marathon, if you want to call it that, just because it was longer than a marathon, mm-hmm. was with Bartle. And it was as a part of one of these adventure runs. Yeah. And uh, so, you want to talk about that and what that was and what we did and <laughs> what that was like? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that run was, was super wild. fun. It was an adventure. <laughs> Definitely an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so Ford showed interest in running with me and I sh- I felt interest in running with him and um I also realized once I had started teaching running at um these kind of campouts that happen a few times a year um that I really felt drawn to like bring runners together and I also felt like a lack of runners in the community Mm. um and so I just really threw myself out there and kind of tried to promote the opportunity to do what I consider like a runabout so almost like a running wander um and I was just curious who would respond to that call and the only person that responded and also showed up was Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me that in the because you emailed like several people. Yeah. And I think it just 
because I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I started training and I started asking people the best way to train. I was going hardcore. Then I think like a couple months down the road, you're like, also, I think you might be the only one. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. So here Ford and I are like hardly acquaintances. And, and now it's like comes down to two weeks from this run and it's actually just him and I are that are going to spend the whole day <laughs> yeah. running in the wilderness. We've, We've never met <laughs> one time in real life. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we we did a a wilderness route run in the superstitious mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And it ended up being a route that you pretty much created, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we met up early that morning and started running and um there was like a snow slash rainstorm a few days before and um, it was like for all the time i've spent in arizona it was the biggest storm we've had it was crazy so there was tons of snow at the top of the superstition mountains which is a really rare site yeah. it's out if you don't know it's in the sonoran desert it's yeah. kind of the iconic mountains are near phoenix arizona so it's yeah. like iconic rugged desert mountains but they were like got a huge dumping of snow but then it all started to melt (laughs) and then we we forded like raging raging rivers this like one river or creek were these creeks that flooded so hard but they turned into rivers (laughs) yeah yeah strong currents yeah i mean yeah yeah, there were at least at least 50 plus Uh fords um well, I, there was only one of me there. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Stupid joke. In case you don't know, Ford also means crossing a river. <laughs> yeah, so we... Oh, actually, can I, can I stop you real quick? Yes. Do you remember, uh, it was toward the start of the run. If anybody's familiar with the Superstition Mountains, we started at the Peralta Trailhead. And I've never seen that trail like that before. But I remember we got to one section, you know, only probably only like two miles in, where it was kind of steep and just kind of like a rock face mm-hmm. but it was just covered in ice yeah. and i don't know if you remember <laughs> remember that because you had just had your like sandals you got out of the thrift store or something <laughs> like that and like <laughs> you couldn't like make it up the rock because you just kept sliding so you're just crawling on all fours like scooting your way up the rock yeah. <laughs> and we were both just laughing because you're like wow that's a good run <laughs> yeah. got a good pace going on here just scooting on the ice and that was just the beginning yeah. Yeah, and then it was like a couple miles later we got to our first river crossing. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow, this river got big. Mm-hmm. Probably have a couple of these. Yeah. Too bad we got our feet wet. Huh. Totally. But little did we know yes. what was coming. Yes. So much so much water, so much they were dangerous. I mean they were a little bit sketchy. Mm. Um, all these creek crossings and we also ended up rerouting due to running into some snow that was, gosh, at some points maybe six inches. Yeah. Six inches or more, and yeah. I um I have an old frostbite injury, so we ended up like rerouting, and yeah, it was it was a perfect adventure. I mean, it involved <laughs> just lots of creek crossings and climbing up sheet ice walls (laughs) (laughs) and and it was so funny i was like i've never ran so little on a runabout (laughs) yeah we tried there's just some sections it was just impossible where we finally get a good groove going start running then like oh that was another river again 
take a couple minutes to cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Do you remember the bushwhacking sections? Yeah. I remember good. getting pretty ripped to shreds. Oh yeah, and then there were really, really rugged terrain that was like choya and catclaw. Mm. It was like combinations of choya, catclaw. Anybody um, who's familiar with those two plants, <laughs> you never forget. Yeah. You know, they leave their mark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember my legs were bleeding and stuff. Totally. I think I have a picture of your leg bleeding. Too. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of blood on this trip. <laughs> there there's, was. <laughs> there's lots of ice. There's lots of freezing water. There was... Yeah, it was... It was all all of the challenges in mm. like a fourteen hour period. Yeah. Um, How many we did? I think we ended up doing about thirty one miles. Mm-hmm. I think we had planned on doing I think thirty five or something mm-hmm. like that, but we had to reroute. Yeah. Because of the the snow in that one section and your foot freezing off, and so we had to reroute. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good thing we did because, man, if we would have had done ten extra miles and. Yeah. Because we've been crossing tons of rivers in the dark. We had to do like two crossings in the dark. But yes, yeah. Um, yeah um, there's something else about that I was just going to ask about. Any other memories from, from that run? Oh, I just remember I ate all your food. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what they, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a good example. I want to talk about. So what I brought on the run is like, I mean, I guess I brought some kind of weird stuff, but. You know, I have my, like, running hydration pack, you know, and my regular things that I've been taught that you're supposed to bring, you know, as a modern, civilized person. Um, And I had, you know, all these different things from REI, you know, like all these, I think they were called sport beans. Oh, yeah, I ate all the (laughs) those. Yeah, and then gels and all these different things. I'd, like, fried up a whole thing of bacon the night before. I guess that was kind of a weird thing to bring, but... Um, anyway, but, and so then I showed up and Bartle doesn't have a hydration pack. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Um, and she doesn't have any of those things that I, you know, all the sporty people have. What are the, what kind of, what kind of things did you bring on that run? I brought (laughs) a block of rendered deer fat. (laughs) I brought... A three by three sheet cloth that I just wrapped around my waist with a windbreaker, and um, I brought some jerky, some chia seeds, and well, I remember gruel. Oh yeah, I remember you had some gruel. I, don't, I kept I kept making fun of you for it. Totally, I think my gruel was maybe mushy oats in a bag. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. <laughs> um, and I feel like there was some other like roots or something that you had oh, okay. I can't remember yeah I don't remember maybe I brought some dried wild roots but I don't remember yeah either way you get the idea <laughs> a little bit different you know uh, extremely down to earth if you will <laughs> and that was the first time I'd ever seen someone run in what we this last weekend we have nicknamed the Graham pack Oh yes. <laughs> named after Matt Graham the Graham rap the Graham rap yeah yes. that's right Graham rap it sounds so delicious that word <laughs> Graham wrap or Graham pack. I'm like, ooh, Dude. I want some of that. Yeah. But that's the basically the what she was describing the the she was using on that particular run the three by three foot cloth wrapped around her waist with her things inside, and that's the first time I'd ever seen that. And I was like, what the heck? Yeah. That's insane. 
But that's a method that people have been using for a very long time, mm -hmm. anciently. Mm -hmm. And it works. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that someday you get to experience even what it's like carrying bigger loads, like mm. the style, just like a bigger load tied in a knot and then kind of thrown yeah. over both shoulders. Like there's, it's it's a really versatile yeah. um, form of carrying. We were traveling really light mm. in the past five days, but even just carrying bigger loads is just amazing. Um, that That style of... Um, carrying essentials I I really like practicing and I also just have so much more to learn from so mm. yeah 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 yeah. it was a great adventure uh, we did together and uh, when I got back to cell service <laughs> my phone was like blowing up my family thought that we had died my brother had um, you know blessed their hearts my family's so wonderful they because I think I'd given them a, a general gauge of when we might finish but we didn't know we'd be crossing 50 rivers and encountering so much snow and ice and bushwhacking and you know so we were way beyond the time i don't remember what time i said we'd finish but uh we were like you know at least four hours beyond that and so my brother he's a graphic designer he had like put this picture of me and this thing that said have you seen this man like posting it all over social media and and everyone got tons of texts on my phone. People on the social on social media, my brother's posts are like, you know, because we had we did send out um, like the whole route of what we were gonna do, and uh, people were like legitimately gearing up to come out and come look for us. And I was like, whoa, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to know that people would have come for us if we would have, I don't know, been stranded out there. I don't know what would have happened. Um, so that was kind of a funny side note. Um, but yeah, so that was a huge accomplishment for me. That was a huge stepping stone, like getting me beyond what I thought. And I'm so glad that you invited me to do it as an adventure run because not as a regular race, because it was so, it was completely different, but yet still similar accomplishment wise. Mm -hmm. Um, I still felt like I accomplished something great, maybe even greater than doing a race but it felt so much more down to earth and I, I loved it, you know, uh, like I, I wanted to do another one and I still, you know, I want to keep doing stuff like that. But so correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you've never done an official running race, right? Like, is that true? That's correct. Yeah. I've <laughs> never, I've never ran an official race of any sort or ultra huh. or anything like that. Do you think you would like to, or have you tried to stay away from it intentionally? Or Yeah, in my my early ages of a runner, which I still feel pretty new to it, uh -huh. I just wanted to allow myself kind of that, like, safe, like, experience of just, like, forming what running is to me and, and not participating in competition around that. I kind of only wanted to compete against myself mm. and um and also just immense shyness as well like mm. entering a a um a local run or whatever I do have interest in that and maybe I will participate in that but um right now I'm just really enjoying doing these adventure runs and um, yeah. also doing more solos um which is a 
huge stepping stone for women in general (laughs) that spend time in nature um getting better at my relationship with navigation and um seeing where that takes me first yeah um but yeah i mean i could also see if a friend of mine is like really wanting me to participate in a run with them that might just be enough encouragement Mm. to get me out there but it's not a right now in my life it's not a personal Mm. not a personal goal yeah Yeah. i think that's awesome because i think it seems like people can kind of pigeonhole themselves and that's why i love talking with you about this and how you you know you're one of my running senseis (laughs) and so you've got me to think outside the box where it's like you know most people myself included for the most time growing up was like yeah if you want to get into running you sign up for a marathon and then when you did that you've run a marathon and that's great that's wonderful but you don't have to do that there's so many other angles um mapping out your own course and obviously maybe to some people that sounds a little more intense maybe a little more like scary um what what advice would you give to someone who's like eh, well i don't really know anything about foraging for wild food and i don't understand how to do a multi-day run like how do you carry a sleeping bag while running you know all that that kind of stuff or like that seems like a little bit out of my league and also maybe i can only do like maybe half marathon distance Mm-hmm. But there's something about what you're saying sounds intriguing. Is there any advice that maybe you think you could give to someone like that who may be listening and be like, oh, that sounds intriguing, but maybe out of my league, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, my first adventure run um, was just on dirt roads. Hmm. It, it, it involved almost no navigation. Um, I ran one day on dirt roads and then the second day on train tracks. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I, I wanted to do a multi-day run, but I felt very uncomfortable with the concept of going off the beaten track, mm. off the beaten path, or even involving navigation in any way. Um, so my first run that I did, it ended up being 50 miles. And it involved no navigation, but it was still remote, and I was alone Hmm. the whole time. And I planned it to only be 10 miles a day. Um, And I had various caches, and it just kind of naturally happened that I did 30 miles the first day, and then 20 the second. But um, I think if people are overwhelmed by miles, if people are overwhelmed by collecting wild food if people are overwhelmed by navigation then I'd say just set an adventure run that is within your comfort level and your boundaries and just get out Mm. yeah or have or have even people meet you every however many miles if you only can run 10 miles but then you kind of want to walk five or ten more Mm. that's a 20 mile day yeah. And if you're really worried or uncomfortable about being alone, then you could have a friend kind of try to dri- drive out into the bush and just give a quick check-in. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just encourage people to move as slow as they want to. Um, and just just an all-day run or even a simple 
overnighter is like a great way to start um my first handful of trips mostly hiking were just a week long Mm -hmm. and then I (laughs) moved to two weeks and then I moved to a month and then I started doing multi-month trips and now here Chris and I are and we're going to attempt walking for six months so um yeah I think allow yourself the permission to progress in a rate that feels safe and sound for your own like personal essence yeah (laughs) yeah I love that (laughs) so okay I'm gonna play devil's advocate here a little bit Bartle so you just said something pretty pretty wild and crazy maybe to some people because you did just barely walk here from the Mexican border yeah it's it's a little ways Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you and Chris are planning on walking basically from here as far as I understand it to Montana Mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a little ways as well Uh, a lot of ways Um, (laughs) what if someone's listening to this and they're like why would you ever want to do that what is what is inspiring that what what's the fire behind that because it does sound kind of crazy especially in our kind of modern pampered society it's like hey man go for a day hike you don't you don't have to do that you know what's what's the drive and maybe maybe this is too big of a question but combined with your strong passion and desire to kind of connect with the ancient ways of living why why do you want to what drives that for you but let's start maybe with the the walking part why go on these long walks we got cars man Mm -hmm. you don't got to do that to yourself (laughs) (laughs) what do you think it is yeah well one thing i can (laughs) respond by saying is that i am 30 years old and i just learned how to drive a year ago (laughs) so that's the main reason (laughs) so (laughs) um and yeah, when I get in a car, I immediately feel unsafe. Mm. Um, and I feel like I'm disconnected from my surroundings. And I also feel like I'm working with a machine that I shouldn't have the honor to use. It just feels very dangerous. Mm. Um, and... I remember when I was 18 years old, I biked from Portland, Oregon to Arcata, California. The whole time I was biking, my body was just like, I would rather be walking. Really? I would rather be moving through this landscape as slow as I humanly possibly can. Um, And that's what ended up kind of driving the strong attempt into building a relationship with foot travel Hmm. um so it kind of started when you're 18 mm -hmm. about yeah yeah and i appreciate the pace of walking (laughs) and running as well yeah um there's a lot to take in in a landscape and there's a lot of experiences you have in your body in just a given day Uh spent walking all day yeah Um, yeah and I don't I don't think I have any like grandiose 
response. I'm, I'm expecting you to that. change the world with your answer <laughs> here. Oh, crap. So, pressure's on, Barl. <laughs> oh, <Just> crap. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, I just... Um, my feet need to be on the earth and... like it's in alignment with the relationships I try to have with my body and with the land and Hmm. um, it just feels right dude yeah Yeah, I know what you mean I get it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I I, I still don't like have my like really confident solid response when people Mm -hmm. are like truly disturbed by what I do or trying to really push on like judging you know what I mean um you know and non-runners or hikers will be like well what are you running away from Mm. and that's like one of my least favorite things to (laughs) be asked and I usually feel attacked so my response is like to what are you being sedentary about like you have this body (laughs) like why not use it (laughs) yeah touche man I love that yeah why why do you walk why do you run I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Why we hike? Uh, I don't know. Because I have moments where I'm out there. I mean, yesterday is a great example. Um, Yesterday on our survival run, just for a little bit of context, uh, it's run through Dan Baird and Matt Graham. It's a class that they take where we're we're running using these uh, same style packs that we're describing that Bartle uses already. Um, just like a sheet with very bare minimal supplies um, traveling basically off trail you know through a rugged landscape for multiple days and uh, you know just catching fish and you know foraging for food basically we have a little bit of stuff that they gave us but for the most part we're foraging and hunting for everything and uh, yesterday I was struggling man like, uh, and I think you were as well during that, yeah. that morning push that we did. Yeah. Uh, I felt awful. <laughs> and, and part of me during that, during that time frame, there was a few times yesterday I was like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like this, it just sucks right now. Like it's pretty and stuff, whatever. But there's times where I'm like, this is just awful. Mm-hmm. It does sound better to be eating pizza and watching TV at this exact moment. Yeah. Um, but I still keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's part of me, I'm like, well, am I running from something? Kind of like those people, you know? And maybe there's some truth to that at times. I don't know. And I'm still ser- searching for the answer, but I love the, what you said about, like, I have a body. Might as well move. Yeah. Totally. You know? And I find joy in that. I find joy, like, just a really deep, deep sense of joy. Like, there's times sometimes where I'm out running a trail and you, you know how it is like when you get in this really nice flow and you're like feeling really good and you're just cruising on a trail and there's times when I'm having that or that I'm like this is what I was born to do mm-hmm. like this I feel like my authentic self right now yeah. is just running out here in the woods on this mm-hmm. trail like this is me mm-hmm. and it's hard to put that into words but it just feels like this is what a be this is being human mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm getting in touch with who I am as a human being. Totally. Um, yeah. Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. And in the past five days running with 
Matt and Dan and a handful of students. I just, what kept coming to me was just this thought of like, we are being and practicing, participating, being fully human right now. Mm. And I was just filled with this like great sense of groundedness and a, a great sense of celebration. And it was very like peace inducing. Like I just mm. felt really human and really whole. I didn't feel disconnected from the environment and disconnected from my body. I felt like everything was in alignment and within flow and their course, they, they really set it up to be just that. So yeah, it's an incredible class. I, I recommend trying to participate in one of their courses if anyone that's listening happens to be a runner yeah. and wants to try something totally um, different different from yeah. anything <laughs> you maybe have ever done before as a runner totally yeah um yeah thanks for sharing that sorry if i cut you off there we about to say something else okay um yeah so wait barl can i ask you a question real quick i mean obviously we're doing an interview so i can Right. I have their permission to ask you questions. You have permission. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Should have asked you earlier. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just totally out of, out of, uh, off the subject, but uh, why do you go by Bartle? It's just a question. I mean, I know it's your last name, mm-hmm. but why do you, why, why do you go by that? I wonder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well... <laughs> if the CIA is chasing it, it's okay. You don't have to share this information. <laughs> I work for the CIA, by the way. Oh, nice. So, you're screwed! <laughs> yeah, my my birth name is Emily Roxanne Reinhardt Bartle. Whoa, wow. That's and, a lot of names. That's cool. Yeah, and my, my last name is Bartle. Uh-huh. When my mother and father got married... Um, my dad took my mom's last name. Oh, and really? Yeah, and wow. in in high school, um, I'm, it like felt like every third female's name was Emily mm-hmm. <laughs> in my graduating class. Yeah. So people just started coming up with nicknames for the like ten Emilys in every class. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I just started going by my last name. Oh, and, really? And I also, at the time, it was just kind of this, like, uh, a little bit of a, I don't have anything necessarily against the name Emily, but it was a little bit of an aversion of being one of the most common female names of mm. that of that time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like been many years after, and it's still just kind of, kind of sticks. It, every once in a while, people will call me Emily, or they'll be like, you know what, like, I, I I just really would like to call you Emily and I'll just like gently steer them away from that and be like, yeah, no, I just, I just go by Bartle. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Just had to, had to clear that up for everybody, <laughs> including myself. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I think when I first met you, you know, it's not the uh, first name of Bartle, at least for a woman anyway, I was like, oh, is it like a verb of some kind? What does it mean to bart? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Because yeah, at the primitive skills gatherings, you know, you meet people, and you know, you meet people with like all kinds of different names, yeah. and you're like, oh, 
Huh. How did they get that name, you know? Yeah, usually, like, people's names are, like, flowers or whatever. The gathering will <laughs> be, like, sage or a plant. Yes. And I'm just like, I'm Bartle. <laughs> They're like, what the? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. What type of plant is that? <laughs> yeah. So I was just always curious, yeah. So thanks for clearing that up. Um, but I, I wanted to get into what I talked about, what I mentioned earlier about how you were uh, growing up. You were not, as far as I understand, you were not doing all of these things and this person that you are now um you were a ballerina Mm -hmm. and can you talk about that and then what what guided you into this completely almost counterculture life you know Mm -hmm. um when did it start what kind of sparked your interest and how'd you get into it Mm -hmm. and what it does for your soul how i live my life now or yeah, maybe just maybe let's just start off. That's that's like eight questions right there, but maybe just start off like, like talking a little bit about you know, maybe your childhood or youth, and then what what kind of guided you this direction? Absolutely. Yeah, I um I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Oh, ah, home of the Zips! <laughs> oh my god, Akron University Zips! <laughs> Whoa, good job! <laughs> I follow college sports, so I know. <laughs> Sorry, random. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I um I Akron, Ohio is a little bit of a college town mm. and I grew up studying dance and um yeah, I I love ballet and modern dance and in middle school I I ended up taking it pretty seriously mm. and there was a summer where I spent it in Washington D.C. studying at studying at the Universal Ballet Academy, um, which is like a a traditional classical Russian ballet school. Um, and then I came back home for the school year and would dance. Um, yeah, I I loved dancing. Mm-hmm. I loved studying dance, and it was a amazing emotional outlet because my childhood ended up being a little bit chaotic Mm. um both of my parents struggle with um substance abuse issue Mm. problems and i ended up mostly growing up um in a single bedroom apartment with my father Mm. and i would go to school and then i'd catch a bus go to dance and then i'd catch a bus home and then I'd usually go home to the apartment that we lived at and my father would often not be there so then I'd kind of have to go and find him whichever bar he was at drinking or (laughs) whichever saloon he was at and try to wrangle him home so dance was not only an art form that I loved but it was also a, a way to get in my body when everything else around me felt incredibly incredibly unstable and chaotic and moving my body was gave me something that I could be in like complete control of Mm. and um yeah yeah I studied dance pretty seriously until until I was like 15 or 16 Mm. and it was like it was like a therapy for you yeah growing up oh absolutely Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah. I mean, I struggled in high school even getting, like, average <laughs> grades. <laughs> I, I pretty much struggled everywhere else other than in the dance studio. I I really, really excelled. Mm. Yeah, I was, 
I ended up at the studio I was going to just advancing so quickly that they threw me to the Akron University. Wow. And I just started dancing and getting college credits by the time I was 13 years old. Wow, holy cow. And then I started getting solos with them. And I was kind of like this dancer that I love to jump and do like all these big movements. And I also really like picking people up, not just being picked up. Mm. So I was more of a soloist. Like whenever they would throw me in like the corps de ballet, the like group of all the eight dancers in the background, I'll just kind of stick out. Like, I'd have too much energy or too much kick or yeah. too much smile. Like, <laughs> so I can, they're like... <laughs> I can picture this. I can picture this in Little Bartle. Yes. That's funny. So then they're like, geez, the only way she can be on stage and not stick out is, well, to encourage her to stick out and do solos. Huh. Um, so I was like a... I would come on stage and do the solo performances. Mm. Wow. So what was... So you did that till you till you're about 16, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so how did you, so translate, trans, what's the word? Transitioning from that to how, how, where did it all begin? This whole primitive stuff, you know, what drew you into it? How old were you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I ended up walking away from dancing for a few years, um, some hard conversations happened with my dance teachers that kind of led me to realizing that I wasn't going to be able to pursue dancing as a career Mm. due to the shape of my body. Mm. Um, And so then... Was that pretty, like, kind of... It sounds like it would be kind of traumatic. They're like, oh, your body's not the right shape. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. for For a teenage girl. Yeah. In America, at least. Yeah, I I pretty much stopped moving huh. my body and then just got really into artwork. Hmm. Um, and, and then in my high school years, I ended up falling in love with this photographer called the Polaroid Kid. Hmm. He's kind of like this radical underground photographer that would take portrait photos of, like, homeless kids riding freight trains Mm. and I transitioned from high school into um, riding freight trains and that's kind of how I so so I'm seeing the the photographs Mm -hmm. I just thought they were beautiful these people had like would have like a little bit of sunburn or dirt on their face or some holes in their shirts or some like crappily done stick and poke tattoos and and I was just like wow these people just like roam and hide from western civilization and work together to get their needs met and um that and so then I ended up moving out to Portland Oregon and was kind of like this train riding kid for a while how 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 did you do that yeah like you just pick a random train but what the first time you did it where was it how, like how do you even do that totally there's um some details that I don't want to share yeah. publicly uh-huh. but there's um ways to learn train routes and times that trains come through and where they go and I got a hold of that information throughout the whole US 
Wow. And then, so then I could pretty much go wherever I wanted to. Was it scary? Yeah, jumping onto a giant machine of shaking and vibrating steel is really intense. Yeah. And I only did that for a short period of time, but it was the first step of leaving home uh-huh. and learning to travel and then learning how to survive eating restricted amounts of calories or sleep with minimal gear Um, and then in Portland, Oregon I started making connections with some people that led wild food um, potlucks Mm. and I got a hold of Stephen and Tamara's um, brain tan buckskin book and Ah. I tanned my first hide Um, started picking up roadkill and building a relationship with like community and resourcefulness that just kept I kept taking it farther and farther and farther I first started studying a bunch of crafts um, but then after I'd weave basket all day or tan a hide all day I'd still have energy so I started going for jogs Mm. (laughs) and runs Mm. and then it just kind of slowly led me to wanting to do overnighters and wanting to hike for a week and then wanting to try to just eat wild food for maybe five days and and then it all just kind of kept rolling and I did walking for I would say maybe five or six years before then I was like well what if I started doing these same trips but running so it just all just kept kind of unfolding for me wow that's amazing yeah so in the sense that you talked about the the ballet was like therapy for you kind of in a difficult situation in childhood um in a similar way could you speak to and and maybe you can't maybe this doesn't resonate i'm not sure but how does how does the you know getting in touch with the natural ways of living you know uh, like you were talking about you know you know, tanning hides, buckskin hides, and making clothing out of it, and, you know, learning how to weave baskets out of various different plants, and harvesting food, and, you know, all that kind of stuff combined with running and walking on the land. In what ways has that been therapy for you in adulthood? Maybe in similar ways of how ballet kind of sounds like it was for you as a child. I'd be interested to see, to hear what you feel like it's done for your heart and that's a deep that's a deep question so if you need a second i understand mm-hmm. can you ask it one more time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like yeah all these things you're running walking upon the land uh working with primitive skills um what has that how has that maybe been therapy for you totally. in adulthood Maybe kind of like how ballet was therapy for you as a child. Yeah. I think that all of those skills require tending to giving them a certain amount of attention. So I think, I guess I could say that they are relationship-oriented activities that can be can bring me into the present moment Hmm. I do feel like I have a lot to sift through 
with my childhood and and also just the world in which we live in yeah and it can spin and turn in ways that feel so overwhelming and chaotic but then I'm I go for a jog or I find a patch of berries and and I experience picking the berries and seeing the beautiful color and then being able to smell the berry and then taste it and it it brings me into the present moment in a way that probably brings a lot of other people that practice meditation Mm. into the present moment Mm. um but i can be in motion and create that presence that that fills my body with peace and i think that a lot of it is for me is feeling a a sense of belonging and a sense of peace that is very simple it's i can apply it it's not overly complicated Mm. like like other things that people are doing nowadays or pursuing yeah yeah i love that what what would you say i i've sometimes will say to people um i mention them in this podcast a lot primitive skills gatherings um if people are listening and they don't know what that is um you can look it up online but they're just gatherings of people who practice these kind of skills whether you want to call them survival skills or ancestral living skills um but I often say to people, because first, when I started going to them, I was like, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It was, but then it also wasn't. It was more than I thought it would be. And I, and now I keep going to them. It's become kind of a great sense of community for me. And I, I always say, like, I think every person should go to a skills, a primitive skills gathering. Mm-hmm. You know, I think every single person should. Um, I would like to hear what what you think for just like you know your average American person most people haven't heard of these things or are any way affiliated with this kind of life what would you say to someone who hasn't been to something like that and hasn't really ever known anything about that what what they could take away from from learning primitive skills and uh I'm wording that question in a weird way. I think I get it. Do you kind of get where I'm coming from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as someone who's completely different, you know, world, but is listening to this right now, and uh, what they could gain from learning some of these skills. Yeah. Yeah, I think in general, the more time you spend outside within the area that you live whether it's in your backyard or going on a local hike or if there is happens to be public land nearby um just going out and camping for a night mm. um and maybe there's some books of plant foods of the local area or mm. there's um materials out there to to craft with or do some experimenting with I think that that's a inevitably that brings you in a deeper relationship to your own body and also just with your surroundings which is like the land locally you live in Mm. Um, I don't necessarily want to like encourage people to like travel a bunch or drive around a ton Mm -hmm. so I don't think that anyone has to go anywhere to 
build a relationship with some of these traditional skills. Um, mm. Maybe there's a local birding mm. class, or or maybe there's a local wild wild food walk um, that you could sign up for for an affordable price and and um, just step out your front door and mm. spend some more time like looking in the plants that are that are growing in people's lawns or the weeds yeah. or <laughs> yeah. and before you know it you'll I mean even just in someone's lawn you could you could learn three or four wild edibles and yeah. and implement them into your salads and show them to your kids or maybe your grandparents and mm. and um yeah yeah, I, there's something about that, right? I remember when I took my very first class in with any of this stuff, wilderness survival class in college, and we learned a few plants. It like changed everything about hiking and going out outdoors for me. Because before it was like, oh yeah, go out in the outdoors to get some quiet and some nice views. Which that? It's a big part of it. That's great. But then I'd be walking around, I'd be like, oh, I remember that plant. That's the mullen plant. Oh, if I remember right, that's good for such and such thing, you know? And I didn't know very many plants, but I'd know like three. And I'd see them, and all of a sudden it was kind of like this Where's Waldo type game. And then I went hiking with my friend Mike Irving, and he knew tons of plants around, and he was just pointing out everything, and it was so fun for some reason. He's like, oh yeah, this one tastes really good, and we try this one, and you know, oh, this one's poisonous, that's hemlock, oh, you'll die if you eat that, you know, kind of thing. You're like, oh, that's a good one to know. <laughs> but it, it really makes your world, which this is where we live. This is, you know, we're so used to, you know, living in walls and walking on cement and being in cars that um, this world, like right now we're sitting on this this earth right here and we've got the creek right next to us and that that's real life. You know, this is where we're meant to be as humans. This is our this is our planet. Mm -hmm. And maybe to some people it sounds ultra hippie and maybe it is, but it really having a relationship with the earth is a real thing, mm -hmm. I think. Definitely. And it's helped me a lot in my life um, to be able to identify these things. It's kind of like walking around on busy streets and it's easy to just see everyone as objects. Like, ah, they're just a bunch of hunks of flesh walking around. But behind every single one of those people is a story, mm -hmm. you know, like fears, passions, triumphs, pain, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff, beautiful things. They're not just hunks of flesh. And it's mm -hmm. the same way for, you know, out here where we're sitting, there's sagebrush. There's, mm -hmm. there's a cottonwood tree, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, being able to recognize them, I feel like helps me be able to recognize people as well and uh and see them and so you begin to really see the earth whereas before maybe it was just plants and water and rocks but you start to see the individual characteristics and the greatness of each aspect of the earth and you appreciate it more and then you just it becomes part of you they become friends you know and uh yeah love it so many good thoughts you could sit here and talk forever um probably wrap up pretty soon uh do you want to tell a story of how i slapped you in the face with a fish <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i wish we had some cheetos or nachos to <laughs> chew on right now if any of you have listened to any of ford's other podcasts there's like 
always some type of oral fixation happening. <laughs> One time a friend of his was eating an orange. Yeah. There's there's chips chomping and we don't have anything other right, than yeah. water. And I apologize cuz uh Bartle cuz a few days ago on our run, we were cooking up some fish on the fire and then I didn't know that you could roast the spines of fish. Yes. And I was kind of scared to eat it, but yeah. then they forced me to eat it and I ate part of a fish spine but then it's really crunchy and I was like oh I'm gonna save a piece of the fish spine for the interview so I <laughs> but then I lost it somewhere I don't know where it is okay. but dang uh, got a stick here maybe it's really terrible <laughs> anyway okay. Uh, okay, the story of me. me slapping me with the fish sorry I'm getting right. all over the place here yeah so um Matt caught a carp on this, on this, it was huge. It was a huge, beautiful. It looked fake fish. <laughs> it looked like, it looked like uh, one of those. You know those like, I'm I'm going ADD Central right now. But you know those uh, fish things, where you push a button and it like sings Happy Birthday or something and like mm-hmm. wobbles around. Mm-hmm. I just feel like everyone's seen them. I don't know what yeah. those are, but yeah. it looked like that fish. Yes. It just looked like a fake like prop. Yes. Yeah, and um, so we all, well, he gutted the fish and um, put it on a stick for easier carrying, and all of us started wandering upriver, and um, so that people could continue hunting, Ford ended up carrying this fish on a stick. For, <laughs> it was heavy, you know, it was like yeah, 20 pounds. Yeah, and so here he is... Um, walking along the trail and he has this stick and it's over one shoulder there's just this fish um waving back and forth and and earlier that day I was like oh man wouldn't it be funny to be slapped in the face with a fish <laughs> and he's like oh that'd be kind of funny and kind of rude and I was like oh I don't know I think it would be kind of fun like to get slapped in the face with just a huge fish <laughs> and then topic changed and we kept walking and couple hours later we're walking down the trail and I'm right behind Ford plodding along and I'm watching where I'm putting my feet um, and all of a sudden this fish just slaps me across the face <laughs> bam tail right across the face because I wasn't watching where I was going and I got too close to Ford and this oh, massive carp so so great. It was a beautiful moment. It woke it me was. up. Yeah. It woke me up and it, it like gave me energy to just keep on walking and So that's part of we we we're both going to do that now anytime in life where we're just feeling a little bit drained, we need a little bit of energy boost. You always just got to have a fish on hand and just yes. slap yourself in the face with a fish. Yeah. Or have a friend definitely. grab the fish and just whop you upside the head with it. Yeah, I think I'm just going to walk with a dead fish in my pocket. <laughs> from here on out yeah please on your utah stretch of hiking yes. okay. whenever you start getting tired <laughs> start slapping yourself on the fish <laughs> sounds great oh that'd be so great yeah i'm into it uh well bartle you're so fantastic thanks so much for doing this and good luck on your walk through utah thank you through all the wild sections of utah with you and chris thank you uh if you guys need anything give me a call i'll be in utah so uh On behalf of all of my employees at the Why We Hike Corporation, 
all thousand of us, we all thank you for being a part of our business. Thanks, Ford. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.